we understand that. I'm not special. No one here is special. You do not owe anything to us. If anything, we owe everything to you. Lord, it is by your mercy that we can stand and preach your word. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us at this time as we attempt to look at this passage and gather a few thoughts from it. I pray that your Spirit would do business with us, Lord, that we might learn and be challenged. In your precious name I pray. Amen. When we're there, in Judges chapter number 13, and you know, as we enter into Judges 13, we enter into a different phase of the book of Judges, and it's not the final phase, but Samson is really the final judge that we deal with in the book of Judges. Now, he's not necessarily the final judge, because the final judge of Israel will actually be Samuel, who would be dealt with after the book of Ruth into the book of 1 Samuel. But uh, Samson is the last judge that we deal with in the book of Judges, and he's the second of the main characters of the book of Judges. If you have noticed as we've gone through the Judges, we had many judges that we uh, knew very little about, some judges that we knew a little bit about, and there was two main judges that the book of Judges kind of centers on, and that is Gideon and then Samson, and we're going to spend a few weeks in the life of Samson as we go through Samson, and here in chapter 13, we begin the life of Samson, but if you notice, most of the chapter does not deal with Samson, but with his parents, Manoah, his father, and his wife, uh, and his wife which would be Samson's uh, uh, mother. Now, what you need to understand is, even though we don't really get to Samson, until the end of the passage here. Obviously, every passage, every verse in the Bible is there for a reason. And what's interesting about chapter 13, as we've been going through the book of Judges, we have seen uh, Israel, or the, the people of God here, in a national level. We've seen them at war. We've seen them politically. But in chapter 13, it's the first time we kind of get a picture of a home in Israel during the times of the judges. Now you got to remember, this was a very negative time for the children of Israel. Look at verse number 1, Judges 13, verse 1. The Bible says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. Notice what this says. Forty years. For forty years these people have been oppressed. For forty years these people have been in bondage. For 40 years, now, uh, I was going to ask this, and then I, I, I decided against it, because I don't want to have the ladies be upset at me. But, you know, I was going to ask, you know, who's, who's, uh, who's 40 years old and younger? But don't do that. Don't raise your hand. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to see it, okay? Because the ladies are going to get upset, right? But if you were to think about someone who, you know, is 40 years old and younger living today, if they lived during the time of Samson... That means they would have lived their entire life in bondage. That's a long time. And even if you say, well, I'm over 40 years old. Okay, so you're 45, you're 48, you're 52, you're 60. You still would have lived most of your life in bondage. And this is a very negative time for the children of Israel. And I don't have time to really go into this and show it to you from the scripture. But we'll see it as we go through the life of Samson. We're entering into, I mean, the book of Judges has already been kind of negative, have you noticed that? But we're entering into an even more dark part of the history of the children of Israel. And you can see that by this. Have you noticed as, as we've gone through the book of Judges, they'll be in bondage for however many years, and then God will raise up a judge, 
And then there will be a tribe or a group of people that will kind of uh, rally around that judge and then they'll win a great victory. You know, what tells us that the times of Samson were one of the hardest times is that God raises this man Samson. And God, if you don't know the story of Samson, we'll get into it. God actually gives Samson supernatural strength. And you say, why is it that God gives Samson supernatural strength and doesn't give the other judges the same strength? I believe it's because of this reason. If you study the life of Samson, when Samson is raised up as a judge, no one of the children of Israel rallies around him. There is no tribe, there is no army, there is no group that comes to Samson and says, yeah, let's go fight the Philistines. In fact, the exact opposite. As Samson is fighting the battles of the Lord, the children of Israel are opposing him. They're joining up with the Philistines and going to bring Samson into bondage. This is a very dark time for the children of Israel when God would raise up a man and there would be no one willing to follow and I believe that's one of the reasons that God gave Samson supernatural strength because because God knew Samson's going to be fighting alone. There's nobody coming up beside him. There's nobody uh, coming to back him up. There's no one. To, to, the, the Calvary is not on its way. That's the time that we find in the book of Judges, chapter 13. And you know, the negativity of the time is pictured in verse number 2. Look what the Bible says. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. So you got this man named Manoah, this is Samson's dad. And his wife was barren, that means you can't have children, and bare not. Now you got to understand this, and I don't have time to develop this either, just study it on your own. In Bible times, and for most of modern history, it was a very shameful thing to not be able to have children. Today, women act like they don't want kids. But in these days, these ladies understood that children, like the Bible says, are an inheritance of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. And for you to be a woman that could not produce children was a very negative thing. Do you remember Samuel's mother, Hannah, will go to the temple and ask God, and beg, I'm sorry, go to the tabernacle and ask God and beg God that God would just give her one child. Do you remember uh, uh, there, Jacob's wives will argue and bicker and fight back and forth as they're trying to give more children. Why? Because the more children you were able to produce, the more fruitful you were, the more that they would think that the blessing of God was upon your life because children are a blessing from God. Amen. And here, this woman is not able to bear children. And it depicts, you got to understand this, okay? Whenever you see in the Bible a picture of a woman who can't bear children, that pictures a, a negativity, that pictures a depression, that pictures a bad situation. That was, that's what God's trying to get across. The picture that He's giving us here is this is not a good time in the lives of Manoah, in the life of Manoah's wife, in the life of the children of Israel. It's a very bare and barren time. But you've got to understand this, okay? God often uses... The picture of giving a woman that cannot bear the ability to bear in order to show his power. Now it's very interesting what happens here. Look at verse number 2 again. And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman. So you've got an angel that appears to her. 
and said unto her, I want you to notice what he says, okay? If you don't mind writing in your Bible, I'd underline this. He says, Behold now. Do you see that word now? If you if you like to underline in your Bible or circle, I circle that word or underline that word now. He says, Behold now. Now notice, notice what he says is happening right now. Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not. He said, now you cannot produce children. Now you are lifeless. Now you are barren. Now you are sad. Now you are without the blessing of God. God has withholding His blessing. That's what that picture is. Because children are an inheritance of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. And what God is picturing here is that this woman, she did not have the reward, the blessing of God. The angel says, now you are barren. But, you see that word? Circle that word. He says, Now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. He says, Now it's a negative situation, but it's going to soon become a very positive situation. Now you don't have the blessing of God, but you soon will have the blessing of God. Now you don't have the fruit of the, of the, of the womb, you don't have the, the, the reward of God, but soon you will have the reward. you got to understand this, okay? Keep your finger there in Judges 13. Go to Genesis chapter number 18. Genesis chapter number 18. When God gives a child to a woman that is barren, it is God showing His power and His ability to change situations. His ability to turn death into life. To turn barrenness into into a blessing, into a child. Are you there in Genesis chapter number 18? Look at verse number uh, 9. Remember Sarah could not bear a child? In Genesis 18, 9, God and a couple of angels come to Abraham, and they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, notice what God says, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah, thy wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. She had gotten to the age where it was no longer physically possible for her to have a child. God just says to Abraham, I'm going to give Sarah a child. She knows, I can't have a child. It's not physically, it's impossible. Verse 12. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am wax old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also. You know what Sarah was saying? She was saying, God, uh, I don't know how to break this to you, but you're a little too late. You're going to wait now to give me children? Why don't you give me, give me children back when I was 30? Back when I was in my late 20s, in my early 30s, in my mid, even my late, you know, my early 40s. Why didn't you give me a child? Now you're going to give me a child now that I'm old? Verse 13. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore does Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I have surety bear a child with which I'm old? Now notice, God uses this to show His power. Verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, according to the time of life. And Sarah shall have a son. Go to Romans. You know what? Go, go to Luke. We'll, we'll go to Romans in a second. We'll go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter number 1. I want you to see this. In the Bible, a woman that is barren, a woman that cannot have a child, a woman that cannot bear a child, is often used as a picture of the helplessness and, and, the, and the lack of power in human beings and the ability to produce. You know, you say, I, I can have a child. You can have a child because God allows you to have a child. 
You cannot create life. God creates life. It is the power of God. Are you there in Luke chapter 1? Look at verse 36. You remember John the Baptist? Elizabeth, his mother, was barren, could not have a child. God miraculously gave him, uh, gave her, her a child. And God is explaining this to Mary. And you say, well, Mary wasn't old, but she was a virgin. Guess what? A virgin can't have a child. And God is going to miraculously give Mary a child, the Lord Jesus. Are you there in Luke chapter 1? Look at verse 36. Luke chapter 1, verse 36. And behold, thy cousin. They're ta- he's talking to, to, to Mary. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth. She hath also conceived a son in her old age. That's John the Baptist. And this is the sixth month with her. Look what it says. Who was called barren. Said they, they called Elizabeth barren. Elizabeth was also older. They said Elizabeth going to have a child. But God gave her a child, and she's six months. Now notice verse 37. Tell me if this sounds familiar like Genesis. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Go to Romans chapter number 4. Romans chapter number 4. Let's get back on the subject of, of, of Abraham. Romans chapter number 4. Look at verse 17. Romans chapter number 4, verse 17. You say, I don't understand, Pastor, what the principle here is. I don't understand what the analogy is. Are you there in Romans 17? Look what it says. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. There is no Romans 17, alright? Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. This is God speaking to Abraham. Before whom he believed even God, who quickeneth the dead. Do you see that? And calleth those things which be not as though they were. Now, I want you to see this about Abraham. I love this verse. Who against hope believed in hope. I mean, the odds were stacked against him. The situation was not good. You said Abraham had hope. He had to have hope against hope. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall I see be. And being not weak in faith, look what he said. He considered not his own body now dead, because his body could not produce children, when he was about a hundred years old. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. See, a barren womb represents a dead womb. It represents death. It represents the lack of life, the lack of blessing. Verse 20. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving the glory to God. Here's what you got to understand, okay? A barren womb represents death. It represents the lack of God's blessing. And every time God comes along and says, is anything too hard for the Lord? With God, all things are possible. And he says, I'm going to give you a child. And he's representing the fact that he can... Here's what you got to understand. And I'm taking a long time to say it, but I need you to get this. Here's what, what God is saying. Well, actually, before... Let, let me just show you something else. Go, go to John 5.24. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 5.24. John 5.24. Can God make life in a barren womb? Can God bring life out of death? John 5.24, are you there? John 5.24, look what the Bible says. Verily, verily, I said to you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Go to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. Go to Isaiah 35. Isaiah chapter number 35. Now when you get to Isaiah 35... When you get to Isaiah 35, keep your finger there and go back to Judges chapter 13. Isaiah chapter 35, keep your finger there and go back to Judges chapter 13. I want you to understand this, okay? 
This passage in Judges 13 is, uh, I'm going to outline it for you into three different words that we find here. Judges chapter number 13. I want you to see what the angel Lord said to this woman. Judges 13. Keep your finger there in Isaiah 35. Go back to Judges 13. Look at verse number 3 again. And the angel Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, here's point number one. He said, Behold. He said, Behold. He said, I want, the, the word behold means I want you to see this. He said, I want you to pay attention. He said, What does he want her to pay attention for? He says, Behold, now thou art barren, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. God says, I want you to pay attention and realize this. Things can change. He says, now you're barren, but you will conceive. Now you're dead, but you will bring life. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God is in the, is in the uh, miracle working business? Do you think that God can change situations? Do you believe that God can change life? Do you believe that God can do the work uh, of the impossible? See, you got to understand this. The picture that God is bringing is this. He's telling the people, you've been in bondage for 40 years. You've been in darkness for 40 years. You haven't had the blessing of God for 40 years. He said, now you are barren, but you're getting ready to conceive. You're getting ready to bring change. You're getting ready to go from death unto life. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, what we need to understand is this. You may say, Pastor Jimenez, my life is all messed up. You may say, right now. see this, verse number 6. Isaiah 35 and verse number 6. Tell me if this reminds me, if this reminds you of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Actually, look at verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. You say, I'm blind now, but soon they'll be open. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. You say, I'm deaf now, but your ears are going to get open. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart. You say, I'm lame. Now. But God can change that. Look what he says. The tongue of the dumb. I can't speak. But soon you're going to say. For in the wilderness. Don't miss this. For in the wilderness shall waters break out. And streams in the desert. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can bring water out of the desert? Do you believe that God can bring water out of a rock? Do something great in the life of the children of Israel. Are you there in chapter 13? Now notice, he said number one, behold, things can change. But I want you to look at verse 4. Now therefore, beware, that's our second word. He said, behold, things can change. But then he says, beware. Now behold is, pay attention. Behold is, I want you to see this. Now things are bad, but they're going to turn good. But verse 4, he says, beware. You know what the word beware means? Is I want to take warning. 
Take heed. He said, understand this. Things can change, but if things are going to change, you need to get this. He says, you are going to have to change. Now look at verse 4. Now therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine. Now hold on a second. He's talking to Samson's mother, who hasn't even yet conceived, she will. And he says, I pray thee, the word pray means to ask. He said, I'm asking you, notice what he asked of her. He says, drink not wine, nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. Say, why are you asking me to do these things? Why are you asking me to not drink wine, not drink strong drink, not to do any unclean thing? Here's why, verse 5. For, the word for means because. He says, because, lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now, hold, now I want you to see this. He says, you're going to conceive and bear a son. Now he says, this is what's going to happen to your son. No razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be an Nazarite unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. God says to this woman that Samson is going to be a Nazarite from the womb. Keep your finger there. And judges, go to Numbers chapter number uh, 6. Numbers chapter number 6. You say, what is a Nazarite? Well, let's look at that quickly. Numbers chapter number 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers chapter number 6. Keep your finger there in Judges 13. Numbers chapter 6, look at verse 1. Numbers 6, the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either a man or a woman shall separate themselves. I want you to see this, okay? It says they shall separate themselves. You see that? That's a voluntary thing. To vow a vow of a Nazarite. You see that? So the Bible teaches us there's this thing. It's called a Nazarite vow. Say, so how do you do a Nazarite vow? Well, we don't do it in the, Old, in the New Testament. It's an Old Testament thing. But he says when someone wants to separate. Now notice, it's open to men or women. When either man or woman shall separate themselves. It is a, uh, uh, it is a voluntary thing. To vow a vow of a Nazarite. To separate themselves unto the Lord. Notice verse 3, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. So they weren't allowed to drink alcohol. And shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dry. So he's saying don't drink alcohol, don't drink grapes, don't, drink, don't eat them moist, don't eat them dry. Verse 4, all the days of his separation shall uh, he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the uh, kernels even to the husk. They're not allowed to eat anything that is from a grape. Verse 5, all the days of the vow of his separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled. So they're not allowed to cut their hair. In the which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the flocks of, uh, I'm sorry, the locks of the hair of his head grow. And the days that separated himself unto the Lord, he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother or for his brother or for his sister when they die because he con- the consecration of his God is upon his head. He w- this person, if they were in a Nazarite vow, they weren't allowed to go to a funeral. And it doesn't matter if it was your dad's funeral, you're not allowed to go to it. Because you've separated yourself. You're not allowed to eat certain things. You're not allowed to cut your hair a certain way. You're not allowed to, to go certain places or be around something. Verse 8. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. Now you got to understand this. The Nazarite vow was a, a voluntary thing. The Bible doesn't even tell us how long they had to do it for. I believe they chose. They could do a Nazarite vow for three months. They could do a Nazarite vow for three years. 
Now you've got to understand this, okay? God put the vow of a Nazarite on Samson from the womb and said he would be a Nazarite all the days of his life. That's why, by the way, Samson had long hair. Because the Nazarite vow, when you were a Nazarite, you weren't allowed to cut your hair. Now listen to me. If I took on the Nazarite vow right now, and I didn't cut my hair for the next three years, I may look like a puffball, <laughs> but my hair's not going to be very long in three years. But if someone took a Nazarite vow from the womb and never cut their hair their whole life, they're going to have pretty long hair. Okay, so that's why they did it. Now, please understand. Sometimes people say this. Jesus had long hair because he was a Nazarite. Jesus was not a Nazarite. He was a Nazarene. Those are two different things. Yeah. Nazarene is a... Lo- he's from a certain location. A Nazarite is a vow. Samson was a Nazarite from the womb. Go back to Judges 13. Judges 13. Now, you, I, I want you to see this, okay? The angel says, Behold, things are going to change. But he says, beware, if things are going to change, they're going to change when you change, mom. Do you understand what he's saying? Look at verse 5 again. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razors come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. Who's going to be a Nazarite? Samson. Unto God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Samson is going to be the Nazarite. Samson is going to be the one that can't eat the grapes, that can't drink the liquor, that can't cut his hair, that can't approach a dead body. But notice what the angel says to mom. Verse 4. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. The angel says to mom... Your son is going to be a Nazarite and you're going to have to teach him to live his life in a certain way. He's going to not be able to do what everybody else does. He's not going to be able to go where everybody else goes. He's not going to be able to look like everyone else looks. But he says, Mom, if you're going to get son to do what he's supposed to do, then you're going to have to do what you're teaching him to do. See, the way children learn is by example. You don't tell a child, do as they say, not as I do. That is hypocrisy. The angel says, he's going to be a Nazarite, but you better start just living like a Nazarite if you're going to teach him how to be a Nazarite. See, you, you need to understand this. Go, uh, keep, keep your there in, in Judges 13. Go to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy chapter number 1. In the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter number 1. The key to being a successful parent is by setting the right example. Manoah's wife was to teach Samson how to be a Nazarite by living as a Nazarite, even though she herself was not a Nazarite. 1 Timothy 1, look at verse number 16. 1 Timothy 1, 16. The Bible says, Howbeit, for this cause I obtain mercy... That in me first Jesus Christ might show forth a long suffering. Now this is Paul speaking, but he says, For a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. 
Paul said, my job is to be a pattern to those who are going to follow me. Go to 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Look at verse number 12. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believer in word and conversation and charity in spirit and faith and purity. Now I understand these are passages to a pastor, but the application is the same. We are to be an example. Go to Titus, the next book. Uh, Titus, or 1st, 2nd Timothy, then Titus. Titus chapter number 2. Look at verse number 7. Titus chapter 2 verse 7. And all things showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Here's what you need to understand. If you're going to be an example, if you, listen, if you want your children to raise, to be raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, if you say, I want my child to grow up in church, I want my child to do right, I want my child to read the Bible, I want my child to pray, I want my child to walk with God, I want my child to be real, listen to me mom, listen to me dad, you better start reading the Bible and you better start walking with God and you better start praying and you better start doing the things that you want your children to do that is the key to being a successful parent that is the key to, you say I want my kid I want the best for my kids, start setting the example you say, I want my kids to come to church and apply the things that they learn in church to their lives listen to me mom, when's the last time you applied the preaching of God's word to your life I'm upset my kids don't follow along in the Bible while the pastor's preaching. When's the last time you followed along the Bible? My kids don't read their Bible. When's the last time you read your Bible? My kids don't pray. When's the last time you pray? My kids don't obey. When's the last time you obey? My kids, you know, they have a bad attitude. Maybe you start working on your attitude, Dad. Your attitude, Mom. The way to raise a child is to set the example. Are you there? Uh, are you still there in Second Timothy? Go, go to Second Timothy, chapter number one. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. See, the angel was telling her, set the example. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Number 1, look at verse number 5. Paul said to Timothy, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Paul said to Timothy, Look, Timothy, I know you had the right example. I know you had a grandmother that loved God. I know you had a mother that loved God. Your grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that in thee also. Now, now notice, compare that to this verse. Go to uh, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. 2 Timothy 3.15, this is Paul speaking to Timothy again. He says, And that from a child that has known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Jesus Christ. Paul says to Timothy, I know that you have been taught the Bible from a child, but he also says, I know that you have the right example from a child. He said, now, by the way, Timothy, that's why God is going to use you. See, you've got to understand this. Go, go to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter number 22. Today, people think that they can raise their children in a way that, the, that our world's society teaches us to raise children. And by the way, that's why today we are raising a generation of a bunch of lazy, rebellious children. Because we're trying to step away from what the Bible says, and we're trying to do it in the way that the world says. Here's what the world says. I, I get so sick and tired of this. I go out knocking on doors, inviting people to church, and this is what parents will say to me. If I, if I had a nickel for every time I heard a parent who read some book other than the Bible and thought that they were being a lie, here's what they'll say. I don't 
tell my children to go to church. I let them make their own decision. Oh, that sounds real smart. I don't, I don't force my kids to live for God. I'm going to let them choose. That is, the, see, that sounds smart. The problem is it's stupid. You say, why? Are you there in 2 Peter? You say, I don't like that word. I'm sorry. If you don't like that word, maybe you shouldn't use it. Go to 2 Peter. Look at chapter 20, uh, 22. Proverbs. Did I say 2 Peter? Good night. Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, look at verse 15. See, the problem is this. Our society says, I'm not going to choose for my child. Let the child choose for himself. Now, here's the problem with that. Proverbs 22:15. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. If you let your child decide whether they want to come to church, guess what? They're never going to come to church. If you let your child deserve, decide what they're going to... Well, I'm just going to trust them, and I'm just going to make sure, you know, I'm just going to put a TV in their room, and I'm just going to give them access to the internet, and I'm just going to let them go crazy on Facebook, and I'm just going to trust them that they're going to make the right decision. I'm here to tell you they're going to make the wrong decision. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. That's what the Bible says. And you know these people, they say, well, I don't force my kids to go to church. I'm going to let them make their decision. Oh, really? Do you let them make the decision on whether they're going to go to school or not? You let them decide, oh, you want to brush your teeth today? Yeah, go ahead. What do you think? What do you want to have for dinner? Gummy bears? Okay, no problem. Say, well, no, I'm going to make, my, make sure my child gets the nourishment. Then why don't you make sure they get the spiritual nourishment? I'm not gonna make. I'm just gonna wait till they're grown up and see if they want to serve God. You better beat that child. And when I say beat that child, I don't mean in the modern sense of uh, abusing your children. But the Bible says, "Beat him with a rod, and he shall not die." Bible says, "Foolishness is bound in the heart of the child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him." Let me tell you something. You want to raise your child for God? You know how Pastor Jimenez got started in the church. Pastor Jimenez just one day decided, "I'm going to be a pastor and go start a church." No, guess what? From when I was just a little child. Sunday morning, on Sunday night, on Wednesday night. You think I wanted to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning? Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning? I didn't want to do that. I wanted to stay home. I wanted to play. I wanted to, all the great TV shows were on on Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Why don't you know? All the TV shows that my friends were going to talk about the next day at school were on on Sunday night when we were at church. Why don't you know? But guess what? When you force a child to serve God, they might grow up to just love God. They might grow up to just want to do right. They might grow up to just want to live for God. You cannot leave it to your kids. You set the example. You force them. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And let me just show you this verse just while we're on the subject of correcting, because some of you think, Pastor man is telling people to beat their children... Proverbs 13, look at verse 5. Proverbs 13, verse 5. Proverbs 13, 5. The Bible said... That's not... Proverbs 13, verse 24. I'm sorry. Verse 24. He that spareth his rod hateth his son. But he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. And the word betimes being early. You need to discipline your children. You need to set the example for your children. That's how you raise godly children. You say, Pastor Menace, how do you know that? Your kids aren't grown. I know that because that's what the Bible says. My kids don't need to be grown for me to realize that what the Bible says is true. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he shall not depart from it. 
You train him. You discipline him. You teach him right. You set the example. And I promise you, they're probably going to do all right. But when you say, kids, you ought not be smoking, and you're over there. It's not good for you. Guess what? They're probably going to smoke. That's statistically proven. Because children learn more from what they see than what they hear. It's been said oftentimes people would rather see a sermon than hear it. Not talking for me to say that because I'm a preacher, but it's true. Go to Judges 13. We're almost done. You say, we only got through a few verses. I know, but we're almost done. Judges 13. He said, number one, behold, things can change. He said, number two, beware. If there's going to be a change, you're going to have to change. Jude says, making a difference. You cannot make a difference till you start to be different. You cannot make a change in someone's life till you start making a change in your own life. But I want you to see this. Look at verse 4. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine or strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be an Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin. I want you to see that word there. Begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. He says, not only are you going to have to behold, you're going to have to beware, but you're also just going to have to begin. You know, we get this idea, and I, look, I do this, you do this, we all do this. I really need to start, you know, I really need to start doing that. And that whole, you know, praying thing, I need to start that. You know, that whole reading the Bible with my kids, I, I need to do that. Oh, look, I do that. We've all been there. But there's something we said. It's not just to realize what you need to do. You just need to start doing the right thing. You know what's so hard to just start? To just begin? You know what's hard about it? Is it actually requires character. It requires discipline. It requires you taking control of yourself and not allowing every circumstance and every little wind that comes your way to break your life apart. He said, look, things can change, but it's not just a theory. He said, I want you to start changing things. Now, I just want to show you this real quickly because, man, I'm already out of time. time. But, but look, look, look at verse 6. I want you to see this about Manoah. We're just going to go through this quickly. I'm not really impressed with Manoah in this passage. Manoah is the dad. Look what it says verse 6. The woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God. She didn't realize it was an angel. She thought it was a man. She thought it was a preacher. A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God. Very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told he me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And now drink no wine or strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So the woman goes to her husband and says, this is what the preacher, she didn't realize it was an angel, she thought it was a man of God, said, this is what the preacher told me. Notice the response from Manoah, verse 8. And Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God, which thou didn't send, come again unto us and unto the child, uh, and teach us, what we shall do unto this, unto the child that shall be born. Uh, you understand this, okay? You say, I don't see what's the big deal. Here's the thing. She says, the man of God came and told me, we're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. And then Manoah says, oh, okay, let me go pray about that. God, what are we supposed to do with this child? It's like, he's already told you what you're supposed to do. 
See, we like to spiritualize things so that we don't look like we're worldly. But you know, when you leave church and, wife, and your wife says, Man, pastor preached on that, you know, uh, whatever. Pastor preached on us reading the Bible. We should really start praying. Oh, I don't know about that. Maybe I should pray about that. What is there to pray about? It's pretty clear. Pastor preached that we need to start spanking our child. I don't know. Let me, let me ask. Let me, let me pray about that. Like, look, you don't have to pray about things that are clear in Scripture. You don't have to pray. Yeah. Does God really want me to tithe? Uh, yeah, He wants you to tithe. That's pretty clear. Does God really want me to go to church? Yeah, He already told you. See, it's foolish and it's spiritualizing. Let me pray about that. Look, when someone says to me, you know, I understand you showed us that from the Bible, but I'm just going to pray about that. Here's what they're saying. I don't want to do that, but I don't want to let you know that I'm worldly. <laughs> That's what Manoah's saying. Amen. Let's pray. God, what do you want us to do with this child? His wife's like, I just told you the man of God just told me what to do with the child. Look at verse 9. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah. So God said, okay, you want to know what to do with the child? And the angel of the Lord... Uh, of God came again unto the woman. Now, I want you to see this, okay? Look at verse 8. Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God, which thou didst come, uh, uh, which thou didst send, come again unto us. Do you see that? Okay? So the angel of the Lord went to the wife, right? The wife goes to the husband and says, this is what God said to do. The husband gets on the knees and says, God, what do you want us to do? The angel already told you what to do. But this is what he says. He says, can you send him again unto us? That's what he asked. Bring him to us. Who does God send the angel to? Verse 9. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman. The second time, the angel goes to the woman. He goes to the woman the first time. The guy says, can he come to both of us? And God sends him to the woman again. It almost seems like God doesn't even want to deal with this guy. He's just like, forget you, I'll just talk to the herb. God came again unto the woman, and she sat in the field... But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Here's another question I got for you, Manoah. Why is your wife in the field working and you're not there? Look at her said. And the woman made haste and ran and showed her husband and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me the other day. Verse 11. And Manoah arose and went after his wife. That's, yeah, that's never just a good thing to be said of a man. He went after his wife. And came to the man and said unto him, Art thou the man that speaketh unto the woman? And he said, I am. Now notice what Manoah says. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? And how shall we do unto him? They said, Okay, what are we supposed to do? Now notice how the angel responds. Verse 13. And the angel Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I said unto the woman, let her beware. He's like, Well, what are we supposed to do? He's like, I already told her. I mean, do you see how God is just almost like mocking this guy? Verse 14. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, or that I commanded her, let her observe. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee, until we shall have made Mary a kid for thee. Now, here's what's interesting to me. He's, he preaches a sermon again. This is what you're supposed to do. X, Y, Z. And he says, okay, let me detain you, and I'm going to make ready a kid. Now, notice verse 16. Lord is the response to the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. This angel does not even want to sit down and fellowship with Manoah. Now, now listen. When the angels came to Abraham, they sat down and ate and fellowshiped with Abraham. 
when the angels went to Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot said, come into my house. They said, we're not going into your house. We'd rather stay out here than go into your house. The Bible says that when Christians are in certain sins, like covetousness, like fornication, we should not even sit and have a meal with them in the New Testament. This angel doesn't even want to sit down and, and, and fellowship with Manoah. I, I'm just wondering, what sins is Manoah in? What's the problem with Manoah? Why can't Manoah apply the preaching of the man of God to his life? Why can't Manoah figure out what he's supposed to do? Look at verse 18. And the angel, uh, I'm sorry, verse 17. Let me make sure I'm not skip, skipping something here. Yeah, verse 17. And Manoah said unto the angel, Lord, what is thy name? That when thy sayings come to pass, we may do thee honor. And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou thus after my name, seeing it a secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meat offering, and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. So now he's showing them, I'm not just a man, I'm an angel. For it came to pass, when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on it, and fell on their faces to the ground. So here's what happens. They make this burnt offering, they, it catches on fire, it begins to create smoke. The angel literally just goes up in the smoke. And they fell to their faces, to the ground. Verse 21, But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife, than Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. Now, let me give you, you say, I don't know, I think you're being kind of hard on Manoah. Let me give you another example as to this guy just does not have a clue. Look at verse 22. And Manoah said unto his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. He's all freaking out. God's going to kill us because we saw this angel. And notice his wife. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received an offering at our hands. Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would as at this time have told us such things as these. I mean, do you understand what his wife is saying? Here's what she's saying. She's saying, listen, Manoah. He just told us that we're going to have a child. If he kills you, you can't have a child. If he kills me, I can't have a child. He told us we're going to raise this child. If he kills us, do you understand this guy just does not have a clue? Say, why does God put this in the, in the, in the Bible? Remember we read in 1 Timothy? The faith of thy grandmother Lois, thy mother Eunice. You say, I don't have help in my marriage. I don't have a husband that's interested in the things of God. It just seems like he doesn't understand the Bible. I've got a wife. She just seems like she's kind of clueless when it comes to God. Look, all a child needs to live for God is one parent that's sold out for God. My husband's a Manoah. You can still do it. My husband's not in the picture. You can still raise a child for God. I'm a single mother. You can still do it. All it takes is one child. All it takes is one parent that sells out for God. Manoah doesn't get it. Manoah hears the preaching, doesn't understand it. Manoah thinks he's praying for something when God already told him what to do. Manoah thinks God is going to kill him when God just told him you're going to have a child. But guess what? Samson still grew up. And look, Samson wasn't sinned, but I believe that Samson was actually a great judge. And he goes down in the book of Hebrews as the great man of faith. And he had sin, and God dealt with him with that sin. But Samson was a great man of God, and it was for one reason. He had a mom who said, I'm going to set the right example. I'm going to teach you the right things. And we're going to change this whole situation around. And it's going to start in my house. Mm -hmm. 
You say, Pastor Jimenez, wouldn't it be great if we had revival in our, in, in our nation? Hey, it'd be great if we had revival in your house. Wouldn't it be great if things changed at your place? Wouldn't it be great if, if revival started at your house with your kids at your location and it spread from there? That's what happened. That's what we're reading about. Look at verse 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew and the Lord blessed him. Don't skip over those words. They hadn't seen the blessing of God in over 40 years. And something began to happen that these people had not seen in a long, long time. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. You may have a family history. You say, no one in my family lives for God. You can change the family tree. You can begin to change it. Nothing, the Spirit of God had not seen on anyone's life for the last 40 years. They've been in oppression. They have been in barrenness. They have been in death. But when a woman decided to behold, when a woman decided to beware, that woman began to make a change. And it happened with her children. Let that be encouraging to you. Realize that you can change a whole generation. If you just begin to invest yourself in your children. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for Judges chapter 13. Father, we have people here that have children. Help them to realize they need to invest themselves in their children. We have people here, you say, well, I don't have any children. They may have grandchildren. They can invest themselves. Lois was the grandmother of Timothy. Maybe someone here says, well, I don't have any children. They can invest themselves in someone else's child. There's enough kids around here growing up without a dad that a godly man could step in and say, hey, I'll I'll be an example. I'll I'll take that kid under my wing. I'll I'll love them. I'll pray for them. I'll I'll pick them up. I'll take them to men's preaching night. Lord, help us to be a people that would invest in the lives of our children. Father, we love you. Thank you for Judges 13. We're just going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Judges, learning the lessons that you have for us. Lord, we love you. In precious name I pray. Amen.